This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. That's my early morning. It's not early, but was, uh, that's my morning voice when I sound like <laughs> after working really late and sleeping for five hours. I Thank kind of you for getting oh, up yeah. early and doing this with me on a Sunday, everyone. No I'm less. I'm pleased, pleased as punch to be here. I also am eating the world's best green grapes that I've ever had. Oh, really? Is it? Do, yeah, I hear them. Sorry, that's disgusting. <laughs> you can edit that out. <laughs> it's the ASMR stuff, right? It's like get really. You know when you when you get the good grapes that are like firm. Hell yeah, not at all like mushy. Oh, I'm very pleased. Oh my gosh, that's I'm very exciting. I'm having romantic feelings about these grapes. <laughs> um, I don't know if anybody listened to last week's episode, but I listened back again because you know I I like it's good for us to do to see if I had if I missed anything or you know edit wise. And oh my god, your crime was so riveting. I just was like, this is insane and crazy. And so if you guys haven't listened to that episode, it's really good. We tried something different last episode where we started with the crime and did our rom com next. Mm-hmm. This time we're gonna go back to our. Our ridge, our OG form. We're going to play and we're going to do things and we love suggestions as well. But before we started, I was thinking it would be fun to talk mm. about what did anything rawmy or crimey happen to you this week? Okay, so we have a mutual friend who narrates audio books. Oh, yes. Sam. And she was doing, she was working on this like content you know, Insta story for this trilogy she has. And I, we both watched it, you know, just to check it out. And the, the excerpts from the book were giving me like serious rom, like sexy vibes. Yes. Steamy. It's like a kind of like a love hate thing where it's like, I hate you, but I love you. Um, let's see what else. That's good. That's that was good, a good one. That so, also has a little something to do with what I'm about to talk about, like the bodice ripping books. Yes. So I mean, I had a little. I mean, I erotica. I was yeah, kind of erotic, and I was like, ooh, I'm having the the woo woo. <laughs> like yes. looking at these excerpts, and she's amazing. It's uh, Miss Bre- Brentmore, Samantha Brentmore, I believe is the name. Follow her on Instagram and check out the story. If you are a voiceover person, she broke down how she uh, yes, her process of like how she keeps the voices she's using in in 
or I was like, whoa, I had no idea there was that much work. Involved. I love it. I love it because I, you know, every once in a while, both Avern and I do voiceover and I'm like, that is amazing. It takes a lot of work to narrate um, erotica or any kind yeah. of book, any kind of audiobook. But um, so just, yeah, follow her, Samantha Brentmore. I guess for Crimey, I'll take Crimey this week. Mm. I was driving sometimes. So we live in Los Angeles and there's like oftentimes there's like a six lane highway or something. You know, people are just like everyone's in a hurry and then it's either you're going like 90 miles an hour or you're at a complete standstill it's the worst it's very it can be intense and i i have heard of people getting anxiety or just being in traffic and Mm -hmm. i i can get that now that we've been here a little Mm -hmm. while and honestly i shouldn't even be saying anything because we it's been the pandemic and we really haven't been commuting or driving or anything but anyways this last weekend i was driving and there was like also the another thing you see in Los Angeles and probably bigger cities maybe everywhere but really really expensive nice cars so there was yeah, a Lamborghini yeah. it was a bright oh, no. blue Lamborghini and i i am not exactly sure but i think it was the Lamborghini's fault it went to go right into the right lane and there was a truck there like a big <gasps> semi like a semi yeah oh my god and it the side of it just like flailed off. Thank God it didn't get our car or anything. But the blue, I saw blue flying and I was like, ooh, someone's going to get in trouble. It didn't look like anybody got hurt, but um, that's my crimey moment. I was like, Jesus. That's wild. So you witnessed an accident. Yeah. You know, it is weird because I've witnessed an accident. Actually, I remember I was leaving your house. You were in an lived over. I was also in an accident. Remember when I was leaving your house after watching the kids one night when you still lived over here? Uh-huh. And so oh, I, it was yes. like a three minute drive and yes. I watched somebody get like T-boned, you know. Oh, like that's so scary. Four car lengths in front of me. Luckily, there was no other cars between us and I was far enough back to stop. But there's something about like just seeing an accident. Then yes, yeah, I was hit by, a, not me, sorry. I was in a car accident. My yeah. car was hit by a car. My husband was hit by a car. Oh my gosh. On a Vespa. That's scary. I'm glad he's okay. You know, all in the same year that shit happened you know you know after seeing that accident the very i mean that lamborghini it's not a minor i'm sure that thing is totaled but um uh, it was a minor ish like nobody i could tell no one got hurt but watching the metal like come off like yes cardboard anyways i've been having a little bit of freak out when i'm driving because i'm like just I'm like extra defensive driving. Defensive so. driver. Yeah. <laughs> always know what's happening all around you. Yeah, exactly. And my husband's pretty smart about it. He's like, you always want to keep a little more distance than you think you need between you and the car in front of you. I think that's smart. That's Just why in case something like an accident happens in front of you and then you have space to not become involved in it. I know, I know. <laughs> Safe drives out, out there, everybody. Okay, so... Okay, so as you all know, and if you don't, and this is your first time, welcome. Hello, welcome. What we do- This is do, Rom Crime yeah, with well, Avern and Vanya. That's right. Mm-hmm. Well, what we're doing these days is I, Vanya, will find a rom-com that is meant to inspire Avern's true crime. So she right. then goes and like does some amazing research and finds a kind of, oftentimes they're fairly unique uh, true crimes that we have not heard before, which I am right. f- truly loving because, you know, the market, the podcast world is quite filled with lots of true crime. But I feel like, I don't know, I'm I'm really excited about our format because I'm learning new things. And then in what we always talk about, what you always talk about, like how true I'm on your side, by the way, now learning and listening to true crime it's almost like cautionary tales in weird ways that i really feel like what what do we learn from all these things so anyways the rom-com that i will be inspiring avern with this week is Mm -hmm. one of my most recent favorites like it really gets me 
it reminded me of why I love rom-coms like back when I was little. <laughs> yeah. It gave me the same feels. It is uh, from Netflix. It's called Today's Rom-Com is To All the Boys I've Loved Before. And it's so funny because I obviously heard about this when it came out in 2018, but I didn't watch it because I was like, I don't watch a high school movies anymore. Right. I'm like a grown up person. And then I watch a lot of high school movies. I realized that. But I just watched it this week and I loved it. Right? Oh my God. It's so wonderful. Yeah. And it John is. Corbett is the dad. I know. He's the dad. It's so good in so many ways. If you have not watched it, there will be some spoilers. I think you can still enjoy it after listening. But if you want to stop, go watch, come back, that's good. It is good. I, I think you can enjoy it either way. It's really good. So you're right. It came in out in 2018, but it is based on a book uh, of the same name written by Jenny Han. And that came out, I think, in 2014. And there's a tr- it's a trilogy, which also is a trilogy in the movie series as well. And it's like a teen rom-com. That just is so lovely and fun. And the actress, the main actress is amazing. Let's see. How do I want to tell you this? Let's get down with the trailer first. I think that is fun. All right, let's do the trailer. Junior year. I can hardly believe it. Thanks, Dad. We need to talk about your sexual health. No, no, please no. I want you to be safe. Dad, why are you giving me these? Don't forget to have fun. Yes, well, I have a lot of rubbers for that, specifically. I think you should branch out, make some new friends. Nope. You never know what could happen. That's what I'm afraid of. My letters are my most secret possessions. I write them when I have a crush so intense, I don't know what else to do. There are five total. Peter, the most popular guy in school. Kenny from camp. Lucas from homecoming. John Ambrose from Model UN. And Josh but he's my sister's boyfriend. What are you doing? Nothing. Nobody else knows about them. Hey, can I talk to you? I I really appreciate it, but it's never gonna happen. I'm sorry, what? I think it's really cool that you think I have golden specks in my eyes. Oh my God. It's Josh. Oh my God. Oh, okay. The letters are out. Women. Tell me about it. Here's the thing. I had to make it look like I liked you so somebody else wouldn't think I liked them. What if we let people think that we were actually together? Let's do this. I've never seen you so happy. Did you mean what you wrote in the letter? I'm lying to every single person in my life. Just don't hide yourself, okay, honey? You can't just sit up in your room writing love letters. You gotta tell people how you feel when you feel it. So fun. So fun. And so sweet. I know. It really is adorable. You know what? This is one of my favorite tropes, which is the fake dating trope. Yes, I mean, that it turns into real dating. It, it always makes me think of Can't Buy Me Love. Oh my gosh. That's another good one. I wrote a couple. The Proposal is another one. 10 Things I Hate About You is another mm-hmm. good one. She, My sister says we need to do Teen Witch, which we oh, definitely do. Oh, I love do. that. That's a great idea. I love idea. that one. Brad. <laughs> Brad. <laughs> also, Pretty Woman is another fake dating trope. Uh, yeah. She's all that. Decoy bride. Just go with it. Anyways, it goes on and on. The list goes on and on again. But they did it right here. Yeah. So I, I want to give you just a little bit of the rundown of this mm-hmm. of this movie. Trying not to go as deep as I do sometimes because sometimes I get really just 
I get in there. I can't get out. And I just want to live in the moment. <laughs> I want to live in the movie. So we've got high school junior Lara Jean Covey, played by Lana Condor, who is a beautiful She's actress. Great. The thing I also love about this movie is... And and this is in a lot of the reviews. It, it shows like a mixed family. John Corb Corbett, yeah, Aiden is a white a white man. <laughs> her mother, who had passed away, like every movie. Anyway, her her mother, who's passed away, is a Korean woman, and it's just nice to see a blended family because growing up, you know, we for all of the leads uh, in the rom coms are generally one kind of oh yeah woman i mean maybe we got a little bit different with um pretty in pink the red redheaded um molly ringwald not that, mm-hmm. that that's not ethnic in any way but she was more mm-hmm. of like a you know a different every, yeah right she was like not like a waspy blonde girl exactly but so i'm no. just i'm lo- in love with this for that reason uh, as well so growing up this girl lara jean uh it was super shy Right. So mm-hmm. anytime she had an intense, intense crush on someone, instead of telling them, she would just write a letter, like a beautiful letter to them as if it's as if she would send it. She would apparently, uh, you know, address those letters and then she would hide the letter with the envelope in this box that her mother gave her. Yeah, I think that's important to note, as is pointed out in the movie, that if if she never wanted them to see it, then like, why did she fully like put them in an envelope with her, the address on it. I you know. know. It was like maybe in the back of her head that she would send them. It's interesting. You know, I remember taking uh, probably an acting class or something like that where, and it was almost like therapy because studying acting is a little bit like therapy because you have to kind of go inside yourself and figure out what makes you tick and how you can make that character tick. But I learned about a technique where you write a letter, like let's say you're really more so pissed at someone or have these mm-hmm. intense feelings. You write the letter and then you put it underneath your bed and the next day you bring it up and you look at the letter and then you cross out what you don't think you need to say. And you do that for three days straight. So then you have only what you think you need to say. That's that's okay. the letter. I always thought that was great. And I have done it before when I was like usually mad at my husband. I mean, we've been <laughs> together for 20 years, guys. It's not perfect all the time. <laughs> I do like the idea of like writing about something that you can't. That's so intense. Yeah. yeah, that you have to get it out somehow. Mm-hmm. And her most, so, okay, let's see. She would take those letters, right, and put them in the in her closet so nobody knew. Um, Lara Jean has two sisters, older sister Margot and younger sister Kitty. Um, her most recent uh, childhood friend and someone she wrote a letter about mm-hmm. is dating her older sister Margot. His name is Josh. And Margot decides to go he lives next door right he's like the next door neighbor they were and they were best friends it was kind of that thing but then he started dating Margot, and Margot decided to go to college so Margot's older she goes to college in ireland or scotland thank you apologize for that um and she said well my mom always said never take a boyfriend to college so she breaks up with them that starts the the whole thing and lara jean has always had a crush on josh but decides it would not be okay to date him even though his sister is broke you know but she thinks about right. it she's like okay they broke up but i still i shouldn't i can't do that to my sister okay right fine so one night Lara, correctly right I like that would I, be weird. it yeah. would be weird unless <laughs> she had been like uh, yeah no it would you're right be weird um so lara jean falls asleep on the couch while hanging out with her little sister kitty played by anna cathcart who was in is great oh my god she's so great she has a spinoff show oh does she 
She's hilarious. She's a wonderful actress. She So she is like the little sneaky youngest child who's like, I'm going to stir some shit up. Yeah, because she's like, why are you lame, Lara Jean? Yeah. Like, are you hanging out with me on a Saturday night watching Golden Girls? Which I was like, this looks like the best I night mean, ever. I agree. Um, <laughs> but I guess I'm not a high school junior uh, anymore. So she <laughs> snoops in her room, finds this collection of letters, and she's like, you know what? F this. I'm sending them. So she sends them out. There's like five letters. And the next day at school... Peter Kavinsky, played by Noah Centineo, gorgeous man, yummy, um, yummy, yummy. who is also one of her past crushes, comes up to her while she's in PE with her best friend, Chris. They're running. He received the letter she wrote to him, and she straight up, like, straight up faints. Yeah, it's pretty funny. Because she's like, what the hell's happening? After waking up, she's on the track. She sees Josh approaching. This is the ex remember ex sister's ex-boyfriend and she's like holy shit what the hell is happening she sees the letter in his hand and in a moment of sheer panic Lara Jean mounts Peter on the track and kisses him and I love it the nearby a nearby like PE teachers are like whoa whoa stop that what are you ah, Jesus <laughs> but she does this to throw Josh off before she then just bolts <laughs> and then she while she's like hiding in the bathroom another person comes into the bathroom it's a boy his name is Lucas who is actually a good friend and he also received a leather and he reveals he's like you know that I'm gay and she's like oh yeah but inside she's like I didn't and this is the moment when she really truly realized that somehow all those motherfucking letters have been mailed out mm-hmm. to the people horrifying I just like try to remember how easily embarrassed I got in high school. Oh, I know. Especially around boys and like boys thinking you like them or if you did like them, like you didn't want them to know you like them yeah. unless you knew they liked you. And it's just like to write these intense, not just, you know, like have them find out you like them, but like to read the love letter that you wrote that you were never going to share yeah. to get all of your intense feelings out. I just ah! was like the, the sheer embarrassment of it. Oh my gosh. Was so, it was portrayed so well, like when she faints. like <laughs> I, I think I would faint too. And, I, you know, I definitely had a diary. I have lots of journals over the years and I, where I, if someone found, I would just be like, and I would like to die now. Thank you. Later at her favorite diner, and I think it was a diner she would go to with her mom. It was just like, it's, I will say all of her outfits are really cute. I just want to mention that. Yes. So whoever did Great costumes style. on this, and I should have looked it up, is just so fun, so wonderful. It feels like almost a nod. To, her outfits like almost feel like a nod to Clueless. Mm-hmm. Do you remember in the beginning of this movie where she's seeing her ex-best friend, Jen, mm-hmm. her ex-best friend makes fun of her outfit, which is like the meanest thing you could do in high school. I know. And her outfit's super cute. She just Jen's just being a mean girl. Jen is being a mean girl for reasons. Everyone has a reason, right? But then Jen's cousin, who actually doesn't like Jen, comes up and makes fun of Jen's Uggs. It's pretty funny. It's a good scene. So anyway, she's at this diner and she's trying to avoid both Josh and Peter, but Peter finds her. She explains, you know what? That kiss, it was nothing. I don't don't like you, I promise. Uh, She's like, I wrote that letter a long time ago in middle school. Yeah. (laughs) And just to throw Josh off because she's like, that can't even, he can't even have that in my mind that I like him. So Peter was like, you know what? That's cool. I have an idea. And so he proposes that he and Lara Jean fake date to make his ex-girlfriend, that is Jen, this is Laura Laura Jean's ex-best friend and nemesis, to make her jealous. Laura Jean agrees. She's like, okay, so the next few months go by and everyone, even family and friends, believe that they are dating. And there are moments where these two actors have such great chemistry too. Like there's a scene where he's got his hand in her back pocket Mm -hmm. and they're walking and it's just, you know, you mention how... In high school, your feelings are so huge. 
that's why these movies work so well too because you remember back that you could be completely like ridiculous about everything in those in that at that age you know yes and ev- and everything feels so big yeah and watching it brings me back yeah i read a really hilarious tweet that was like yeah sex is great but have you ever like had Peter Kavinsky put his hand in your back pocket. I mean, I'll take it. <laughs> like, Absolutely, it's, it's even better. Yeah, <laughs> oh, that's it's like, so like... funny. <laughs> it's a sexy, cute moment. Uh, <clears throat> when Peter finds out that Jen is actually jealous, the plan is working. That's great, right? But he he's mm-hmm. kind of like, ooh, I'm feeling conflicted here, right? Because they really seem to, like you said, great chemistry. But they 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 like each other, yeah. even if they don't know they like like each other. Like they they open up to each other. They talk about like really deep things like, you know, how she deals with the fact that her mother died when she was young, how he's dealing with the fact that his dad left. Yes. You know, like they have real conversations. Because they can, because there's like, they've taken away that element of, of, I don't know, nervousness of like, I actually like you. It's like, we don't like each other. We're pretending. So we're safe. We're in a safe, Mm -hmm. like friendship zone. So they do get closer in a real way. So on a school ski trip, Lara, Jean, and Peter finally come together about their feelings. And he's downstairs in the hot tub. It is late at night. There are no... Chaperones. <laughs> yeah, there were no chaperones. Which is weird because it's like a school trip and they're like on a bus. Yeah. And then there's no grown-ups. And everyone's talking about how this is where people lose their virginity even more than like prom. And you're like, where's the teachers? <laughs> oh, I also... I know. I also want to say one thing that I love is... There is no shaming in sexuality in this movie. I feel like a lot of 80s movies, it was like very virginal, you know, like don't have sex or blah, blah, blah. Uh, on on the way to drop her off to the bus, her dad, John Corbett's character is like, here's some condoms. And let's talk about your sexual health. And she's like, no, thank you. Uh, so I but I just wanted to mention that I did. I did like that. You know, she comes downstairs. He's the only one in the hot tub. It's late. And she ends up getting into the hot tub in her nightgown and they kiss while alone in the hot tub and it is it's, it's a sexy sex yeah because he kind of like brings her up on his thighs like she kind of mounts him in a way not in i mean it's it's weirdly innocent but also you know yeah. what you know what everybody's thinking and you know what they want us to think so it's a beautifully sexy scene and i know they're in high school but i still i just put myself as the high schooler so i felt fine yeah of course yeah. um <laughs> We're not creepy old ladies at, at all. <laughs> and at the end of the trip, this is the next day, Jen tells Lara Jean that Peter spent the night in her room after the kiss. And she's like, I think that's so cool that your boyfriend's, like you're cool with my boyfriend being my friend and sleeping in my room. And she's, <laughs> Lara Jean's like, what? I'm sorry. What the hell? She's pissed. And she breaks up with Peter, runs home. Where? Guys, this is where we're getting crazy. She finds her sister Margot has returned home from college and Peter finds Lara Jean and stresses that nothing happened with him and Jen. But then, oh shit, Josh arrives at the house as well. And then Margot is hearing... Okay, so I guess there are a lot of spoilers in this now that I'm, <laughs> now that I'm getting it. Margot, older sister, hears everything, including that her little sis also wanted to boink her ex BF. Then, as if shit weren't bad enough, some asshole, guys, this is intense, took a video of Peter and Lara Jean's sexy, steamy, almost looking like they fornicating moment in the hot tub. Got posted it online. Yeah. They, and they think that she banged him. And there's a whole slut shaming thing that kind of happens in school. The like bullshit revenge social media bullying thing. Mm-hmm. And I felt I was this movie. It has its sweet moments. It has its funny moments and it has its real moments and 
think about that in high school. You just want to die. And and people mm-hmm. have experienced this. I am so gosh darn grateful that there was no social media when I was back and as a kid because I did some stupid shit. I used to love to BA people. Did you know that? I thought it was hilarious. What does that mean? Bare ass. Oh. <laughs> I would just think it was so funny all the time. I'd just be like. You're just mooning people? Left yeah, right? I would moon people. My friends would all do it. We, were, we just thought it was hilarious. There's a lot of stupid shit that we'd, we would do. Not the same thing, but I just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah, no, it's true because there's definitely like the the slut shaming. Yeah, and I did like that in this movie immediately. Like the the guy Peter. Yes, you know when he finds out it's happening, like yells out to the entire school. You know, yes, that's not what happened, and you know, I hate you all. You suck. <laughs> I appreciate that too, because back in the day, it would have been like something happened to me where this guy told everyone that we had sex. And I'm like, we did not have sex. I'm not having, I'm not having sex with you. And he told the whole school. Right. Like what the F? Mind you, there was like a thousand people in my graduating class. So everybody thought that was a slut and it was really horrible. <laughs> so I appreciate that he, uh, that it was written that way. So with all of this going down, she needs someone, she needs some help. And Margot is there for her. Even though she's mad, she still comes to her sister with comfort. And then little sister Kitty sheepishly reveals that, oh, uh, I, I, ju- uh, I sent the letters. Yes, I did. <laughs> Sorry. She's like, I figured five shots at a boyfriend for you. <laughs> <laughs> and Lara Jean is enraged. Margot calms her down. Big sister, good job. And makes her realize she may have wanted to send them, like you said, but was too afraid to. Also, why'd you put the address? And the mm-hmm. sisters forgive each other before getting that gosh darn awful Instagram like they go to Instagram to get that move that video right, taken child down. porn yeah because of child and that is a thing that is something my I have a cousin who's a, a a middle school teacher and she has to explain to the kids what that could be like you could get in trouble for for like you can go to jail yeah even if it's you even if it's your right. naked body and you're a high schooler so it's bad, 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 bad. Learn the laws, I guess, in that. After spring break, Laura Jean discovers, yes, everyone in the school knows. Peter tells everyone, yes, nothing happened. Laura Jean confronts Jen about it. She admits she tried to sabotage their relationship because she felt betrayed that Laura Jean, this is like back in middle school, kissed Peter. When they were besties. Yeah. Yes, during Spin the Bottle. And at the end, though, in a sweet scene in their diner, I really like this moment. It was a dad-daughter moment where yeah. he helps her come to the decision what she wants to do. And she decides, I'm, I can be friends with Josh again. No harm, no foul with sis. And when she hesitates to tell Peter about her real feelings, Kitty shows her notes that he wrote during their relationship. And then Laura Jean goes to see Peter and he tells her that he is in love with her. And they kiss before walking off together and they're in a field. It's really cute. She's like, I always thought I'd fall in love in a field. I'd never thought it'd be a lacrosse field, but you know, so they kiss and that's, that's the movie. Oh, it's so good. You should, if you just want like a feel good, fun, funny, sweet movie, I I need to watch the two sequels. I know me too. I'm actually really excited. It was fun. I had watched this one. I've actually seen this movie three times now, but I watched it again before we, you know, cover it now, but I'm hoping that it spawns something, something fun for you. Well, yeah, this was. It was hilarious. So you watch this like feel good movie and you're like, okay, crimes, crimes, what crimes. <laughs> yeah. So I immediately do, you know, my, my Google deep dive. And I first typed in, has a game of spin the bottle ever led to murder? No, I couldn't find it. <laughs> oh, anything. I love that though. And then I was like, okay, sisters in love with the same man. 
because of the that angle. And mm-hmm. I did find a kind of crazy story, but it, it wasn't like a meaty enough story. But I'll tell you, there is two sisters named Linda Roberts and Mary Beth Tomaselli who didn't realize that they were both having sex with the same dude when one of the sisters confessed to him in Pillow Talk that she and her sister murdered their dad and made it look like natural causes. And he recorded it and then then recorded the other sister when he was sleeping with her. Then they're arrested. Holy they confessed. shit. Yeah, you can find out. It's Linda Roberts and Mary Beth Tomaselli. You could Google that shit and find that story. But it's, uh, you know, was that's like it. They like basically confess after he secretly tapes them. The unidentified boyfriend <laughs> of, of these two sisters. Um, and so then I was like, okay, what's like the crux? Like, or like an event in this movie that sticks out. It was a ski trip. So I was like, okay, let me see if there was ever like a crazy crime during a ski trip and I stumbled into this like insane story. Again, I feel like the unsolved mysteries are just calling my name. So I'm going to tell you guys the 60 year old still head scratching mystery. That is the Dyatlov's pass incident that took place in Russia in 1959 when uh, a group of students on a cross country ski trip all perished mysteriously. Okay. So it's January of 1959, and Igor Dyatlov, uh, Dyatlov, sorry, and also I apologize in advance for my pronunciation of the names of every person and place that I say, because I'm sure a lot of it's going to be wrong, but I will do my best. Um, so 23-year-old Igor Dyatlov is a student at the Ural like, Technical Institute, and he and a group of, like, Eight other students are going to do this 350-kilometer cross-country ski trip through the Ural Mountains. And the reason for it is either, like, to level up, I guess, in terms of, I don't know, like, your outdoorsy It's like, I'm extreme, stuff. extreme <laughs> sports. horrible, Evan. Yeah. I'm really extreme. I'm a level three cross-country skier. Um, or it was to explore this mountain pass because this is in northern Russia in Siberia so like not a whole lot of peeps or like activity going on out there and then I also read somewhere that it was in preparation for uh, a trip that they were going to do in the Arctic gotcha what were they going to do in the Arctic I'm not sure I'm not sure so here's the names of everybody so there's Igor Dyatlov there is uh, Yuri Doroshenko Ludmila Dubinina Yuri Krivonoshenko Alexander Kolovatov um Zenaida, um, which I think they called her Zina, um, Komogorova, Rustam Slobodin, Nikolai Thibault Brignolis, uh, Semyon Zolotarov, and Yuri Yudin. So a couple Yuris. In Good there. job, um, Av. I think oh, that was like magic you. to my ears. Thank you. Oh, well, I do like the Russian. I know. You know it's it's <laughs> nice to speak in the guttural else. Yes. I like it. Okay, so it's January 1959. And um, oh, I also mentioned that Semyon um, Zolotarov, he was actually much older. So everybody is a student, um, you know, like in their early 20s. But Semyon is a 38-year-old uh instructor at the Korovka tour base and a couple of weeks before the trek he requested to join them um so he's 38 years old so the nine students and the one non-student um are all headed out they're at this small little um lorry village called Vijay which is the last place they were all seen alive as they make their way into the Ural Mountains after a day Yuri Yudin is suffering from like sciatic nerve pain. Oh. And so he has to turn and go back. And he, so he'll actually be the only one of these <gasps> p- 
people who survive, which is how lots of information will actually be gathered. So the nine remaining hikers continue through the Ural Mountains, headed towards their final destination, which is a mountain called Gora Otorten, which translates in the local indigenous tribe of Monsi to uh, don't go there. <gasps> the literal translation of Gora Otorten is don't go there. Oh, shit. Now, I'm just going to say, like, if a place is called don't go there, don't go there. <laughs> yeah. Like, there must be a reason. I don't know exactly what that reason was. But, you know, ancient translations, we should pay attention to them. I feel like, you know, <laughs> people, the indigenous oh people they of, of a land, they, they know what they're talking about. Yes. All right. So this group is expected to return on February 12th. And the plan is they're going to contact Yuri, who had to turn back, and family and friends and the instructors from the institute they all studied at. Um, via telegram, but also because of bad weather, they're like, it might be a few days after that. You know, like, we can't promise we'll be back on the 12th. But according to photographs that were developed from the many cameras they had, so they, by all accounts, and we'll share um, some pictures on Instagram and stuff, they were documenting this hiking, this cross-country ski trip, like, pretty regularly. They kept personal diaries they had like a shared diary that they were all writing in and many cameras so tons of photographs they even like put together like they uh, like a little newspaper a daily it was called the evening um otorton and the last like headline that they wrote which seemed kind of cheeky and fun but also a little freaky was we now um know that the snowmen are real so just remember that. Okay. Ooh. So based on the photographs that they developed from the many cameras that the hikers had with them, uh, they are able to determine that the group set up camp on the slope of a mountain called Kolat Syakl, Syakl, Shakl, S-Y-A-H-K-L. Okay. <laughs> um, which this mountain translates in Mansi to Mountain of the Dead or Death Mountain. Oh, my God. So they set up camp on one of the slopes of this mountain on February 2nd. Now, the location where they set up camp is very puzzling to people because, as I mentioned, these were really avid, experienced hikers, campers, cross-country skiers. But they set up on a slope instead of uh, the tree line, which was only like a mile away. Hmm. Because in the tree line, you get a lot more um, shelter from all of the elements. And it's, you know, it's Siberia in fucking February so it's cold <laughs> and so they're like why would you set up like right on the slope of a mountain when the tree line would provide a lot of shelter and like protection from wind snow all the elements if you will um some people say that it might have been like a practice run to try to camp somewhere more difficult it could have been that they didn't want to backtrack a mile because then they'd have to you know walk backwards and do it all mm. over again the next day but this campsite would end up being their last so by February 20th with no contact from Igor Dyatlov and his group of uh, hikers, uh, friends and family become concerned because, as I mentioned, they were supposed to telegram on the 12th of February. So now it's the 20th. Um, so they form a search and rescue team. It's like teachers, students, volunteers, and eventually the police and military also join. And when the search party found the group's abandoned camp on February 26th, the scene that they came across didn't make sense. The tents were half buried under snow and had been raggedly slashed open from the inside. 
and all of their gear was still inside, like relatively un, unmessed with. Now, footprints from eight or nine people trailed from the tents downwards towards the tree line, and they could tell that the footprints, um, by the footprints, sorry, that the they weren't wearing shoes. Like, they're, <gasps> you could see, like, the toes. So, like, some of them were wearing socks. Some of them were barefoot. One of them had one ski boot on. Um, and it looked to the search and rescue party that something had terrified the campers so badly that instead of, un- it wasn't a zipper. Someone did point this out. Back in 1959, it wasn't like you unzip a tent to get out. It was like old-timey buttons. Oh. And so could have maybe taken some time. But that something had terrified the campers so badly that they had sh- like slashed with a knife to get out of the tent and fled barefoot into the sub-zero weather. But what could have scared them that much? The first two bodies were found a mile from their campsite. It was the bodies of Krivonoshenko and Doroshenko. And they were found lying side by side under a giant either cedar or pine tree. I've heard both. Um, and they were both barefoot and wearing nothing but their underwear. There um, were remains of like a fire. And uh, the tree that they were under, several branches relatively high up in the tree had been like broken. And um, that suggested that maybe the two of them had like tried to climb up the tree to get away from whatever they were running from and or maybe to get to higher ground to orient themselves and figure out where they were at. Uh, Sorry, let me turn the, the page. And then evidence of both of their like flesh and blood in the bark on the tree itself actually proves this correct, that these two were like desperately trying to climb up this tree. They also had burns on their hands and heads, which some people think maybe that they got those burns because they were in their underwear. And so they were trying to keep warm by the fire and like basically almost putting their bodies in the fire to stay warm. And then um, the bodies of Dyatlov, Slobodin and Komogorova were each found not together, but like several hundred feet apart basically as if they had been trying to make their way from this tree back to their campsite. Um, these bodies were also not dressed appropriately. They weren't just in their underwear, but like one of them only had on a T-shirt. They weren't wearing jackets. They didn't have shoes on. Um, Slobodin had a skull fracture when they brought them down and like performed the autopsies. Okay. Um, uh, Kolmogorova had like a, it looked like it was a big bruise on her like kind of back kidney area. So it looked like maybe she'd been struck by something. But all five hikers are basically their cause of death is hypothermia, even though they do have these weird like bruises and they're not wearing clothes. Uh, it would take search and rescue two more months to find the remaining four hikers. And when they did, they found Thibault Brignoles, Dubinina, Zolotarov and Kolov. Uh, sorry, Kolevtov, um, they were found like in a gully a few hundred feet from that cedar slash pine tree. And what it appears happened here is that these four actually kind of like dug into the ground to create a shelter to oh, protect yeah. themselves yeah, yeah, from yeah. the elements. Um, and these hikers were much more clothed and they were wearing other hikers' clothes. So basically what they think happens is once their friends died, they removed the clothing that they had to try to attempt to stay warm right but these these deaths were a little bit different 
the cause of these deaths were far more traumatic and not due to hypothermia. So, um, Thibaut Brignoli's had a severely fractured skull. Zolotarov and Dubinina had crushed ribs and chests. And the, uh, the medical examiner basically said, like, the force needed to cause an injury like this, it's, it was like you were being hit with a car. Like, that's how much force. Not something a human could do to create those injuries to their chest and ribs. But additionally... Dubinina, who had the most injuries, was missing her tongue, <gasps> her eyes, and her upper lip. And Zolotarov also was missing his eyes. And Kolotov's eyebrows were gone. Uh, and when the clothing was tested per the government for uh, radioactive material, it tested positive for higher than normal levels of radioactivity. Weird. Okay. The investigation into the, like what happened to them, was very swift. And uh, the deaths were caused by the, so the investigation basically states the deaths were caused by natural forces. The case was closed and the files were classified. But people are like, a no, a no. Um, and in 1990, I guess after the fall of like the USSR, these files became like, public okay but the mountain was closed for three to four years after the incident no one was allowed to go up there and the government like you know would not talk about it so it created this sense of like what the actual f is going on here and there's so many theories and i want to just make sure i mention so i got a lot of this information from in the shadow of death mountain the dietlov pass incident by b jesse obviously i got a lot from wikipedia um, there's a crazy website called dyatlovpass.com, which has like, I mean, it's an insane amount of information. And then I also watched a documentary called An Unknown Compelling Force by Liam Leguio. So I want to talk about people's theories as to what happened. And there's a lot of them. Everything from like an avalanche to a Yeti. Yeah. <laughs> so a prevailing theory is actually that the, the government, the KGB, was involved. So remember how I mentioned that Semyon Zolotarov, who was the older gentleman who asked to join them yes. two weeks or so before. So he's he was an ex-military guy with a past that had a lot of holes in it and a lot of information couldn't be found out about him. So a theory is that Semyon, but also Alexandra Kolot, um, Kolovitov and Yuri Krivoshenko were KGB agents on a mission to uncover a cell of CIA agents. They were to deliver radioactive samples and then take photographs of the Americans, but something went bad and the CIA killed the group of hikers. There is also a theory that they might have accidentally stumbled into like a secret weapons testing zone. Oh. And so been killed. I mean, I don't know what kind of a weapon would cause all these different types of injuries that they had. Uh, but that maybe they had been killed because they'd stumbled across something they weren't supposed to. Um, one thing is, so the survivor, Yuri Yudin, they, like, you know, asked him a lot of questions. And when they were showing them items, you know, that they'd recovered from the camp, there was a pair of glasses that he was like, I've never seen those. A pair of skis that he swore didn't belong to any of them. And there was, like, a piece of torn cloth that people thought looked like it could be the material that like a soldier's jacket was made out of. Also, that what kind of like fuels this 
um, the, this conspiracy theory, if you will, is that Semyon, um, when he was found, had a camera around his neck. So while this group of people was fleeing barefoot, he somehow managed to grab a camera. Hmm. And this camera, according to Yuri Yudin, was not one of the four cameras that he knew the campers had. But the government says that the film was destroyed because it got wet. So we'll never know it was on that. I kind of doubt that's the case. So that's why a lot of people think there's some kind of like KGB secret missiles. You know, this was 1959, height of the Cold War, um, nuclear testing sites, you know, all of that stuff. Uh, So that's a theory. Another theory was that there was an avalanche. Now, this is not an area that was known to be like prone to avalanches, but any mountain Sure. With a certain like degree, like radius or, you know, can have an avalanche. Um, But people actually think more likely is that there could have been some kind of like a snow slab or some kind of drift that sounded like an avalanche. And because of the experience that these people had and knowing how fatal and dangerous an avalanche was, that they actually fled and ended up dying because they feared an avalanche, even though there wasn't one. So it was their 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 knowledge actually led them to. Okay. make this fatal choice when the likelihood of an avalanche seemed unnecessary. Of course, there is no good conspiracy, Vanya, without aliens. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So um, apparently in January, February, and March of 1959, several locals in the area and a couple military who were like active in the area claimed to see orange floating orbs in the sky several different times that moved from like north to south in a very weird kind of pattern, right? So could the aliens, you know, have gotten to them? I obviously, you, I don't know if you can tell, I'm not really I'm not sure. buying that one so much, but there was a photo that was developed that is clearly of a strange round light. It almost looks like the moon, but it's not, you can tell it's not the moon, um, which does give a little bit of credit to this theory that there's like some, I again think it's more likely that that's some kind of weird military weapon yeah. than oh, aliens, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know? Cause I've seen some shit. Like I was in Mexico once and there were these like floating lights that were in a formation and oh. then changed formation. And then all the, I mean, and we all watched, it was me and like several other people sitting at a beachfront bar. I remember when you told me about that. Yes. And then the next day, the, the government, the San Diego, there's like that fort something in San Diego. And they were like, Oh, it was just a flare test. And it's like, no, that's not what flares do. I mean, flares don't like hover and dance in the sky and then like change formations and yeah, no, don't buy it. But whatever. <laughs> the government knows a lot that we don't know. It's crazy. Um, so there is that theory of aliens. Um, let me find the other one. This one's kind of interesting. There's this theory that one of the either a natural cause or perhaps a type of weapon that the government could have been working on would be an infrasound weapon. So Um, infrasound is the opposite of ultrasound, um, and it can be created by like a weather phenomena. It's a perfect storm, um, that basically like, it's a sound that's like, you can't hear it, right? But it's like, gets your inner ear and it causes panic, fear, and even illness. Uh, and they believe it's potential that like the brutal cold and the winds, and it could have, like, they could have been struck by infrasound, panicking them, that that's why they all ran out. Interesting. Uh, somebody who spent five years, sorry, researching the incident um, and actually went there 
Um, he believes that the Carmen Vortex, sorry, my phone is cracked that I'm looking at, the Carmen Vortex Street could have produced a terrifying, powerful sound, which has proven to induce irrational fear in humans. And due to the unique topography, Dead Mountain, um, which is a perfect dome shape, the fierce winds that blow through the pass could have been warped as they struck the blunt surface. The wind, which was blowing in a straight line, would be twisted into a series of small but powerful tornadoes, which would tear down either side of the pass. The tornadoes, spinning fast enough to tear the roofs off buildings, would have created a deafening noise, even if it didn't hit the tent, which it clearly didn't because the tent wasn't destroyed by a tornado. Um, Could have created a, uh, a deafening noise, and under certain circumstances could produce a more subtle and terrifying phenomenon known as infrasound, right? Uh, so that's a theory, which I think is interesting. I'm yeah. like, okay. But like, what about the tongue and the lip and the eyebrows? Exactly. So here's the thing. Thank you for asking. So here's, <laughs> you know, and then there's also Yeti, right? Because there was the fact that they named their last like headline in their daily newsletter was like, we now know that the snowmen are real. Um there was also another photo of like a figure behind a tree and you couldn't see it's a tall figure. There's no clear face in it. And one thing that's interesting is these campers, they took so many photos and even though it's Siberia and it's freaking freezing, they're not like all covered up. Like you can see their faces in all the photos. They're smiling, having a great time. Um, and so some people think that's a picture of a, a of yeti. a Yeti. So some people explain like the tongue and the eyes is like small scavenger animals. Okay. But here, here's how we can argue against that. When performing the autopsy, there was enough blood in Dubonina's stomach that proves that her tongue was removed when she was still alive. Oh, goodness. Yes. Some people also say there's a chance maybe she fell and like bit off her own tongue. <gasps> um, again, this is a mystery that has never been, you know, solved in a way that makes people feel like they know what happened. The government says it's closed. It's natural causes. Another thing was there was some eyewitnesses to the funeral because the funerals were huge for these hikers because this was just the story that the whole country was like, what happened here? And many people claimed that the skin of the hikers was like unnaturally orange and the hair uh, had lost pigment. Now the pictures are black and white, so I can't verify that, but that could be the radio um, radioactive Oh. You know, cause of, of like yellowing or sorry, orangish skin and lack of pigment pigment in the hair. I, one of the hikers did uh, live in a town where two years earlier there had been a, a huge like radioactive explosion. And I, I don't know why I didn't write down the name of it, but it's like the third biggest one after oh. like, Chernobyl. you know, one of them in Chernobyl. There's two that are bigger. Chernobyl we know of. Um And uh, one of the hikers had been sent in to clean this up. But that was two years earlier. And the only way that the radioactivity or the radioactive material that he would have come in contact then is if he was still wearing the same clothes he wore when he cleaned up. Right. And hadn't washed them two years later. Um, You know, the local Monsi tribe who are indigenous to this area also kind of believe in like a Yeti. It's called a mink in their culture. And... Some of them had had some reindeer killed several weeks earlier that they attributed to this, you know, creature. And so, uh, you know, that gives a little bit of credit to the Yeti theorists out there. But wouldn't, well, I guess, okay, so I'm also thinking like polar bears are mean animals and they're very smart. I mean, I don't know. That's true. <laughs> I don't know if there are polar bears there. There might be. Mm. Um, 
Nobody mentioned bears at all, actually, in anything that I, I saw. But interestingly enough, this documentary that just came out in 2021. Oh, really? Yeah, it's called um, An Unknown Compelling Force. He goes, he talks to like reporters, he talks to people who knew the group, who were there for the investigation and the search. He also then like brings in, you know, like FBI agents, uh, coroners and also from the U.S. to like examine the information. And he basically suggests that this is not natural. It was definitely homicide, right? The injuries couldn't happen from some kind of like weather event. Right. Um, There is a chance that there could have been some like tension, like some romantic tension between there was two girls on the trip and seven guys. And I guess like Igor liked uh, Ludmila, but she liked Yuri. But apparently they were all like very friendly. There's also, you know, people say like, what if uh, Semyon, the older guy, was in fact like a, a KGB person and they like found him out and then he, you know, hurt them all. But he also died and lost his eyes. So I don't yeah. I don't know. Um, it's a. A, a story that is just it's baffling and so bizarre and it just it makes me want to know what the f happened here oh my gosh that is very baffling i like that word oh my god i mean it's just baffling um and yuri yudin who survived when he passed away in 2013 asked to be buried next to his friends because oh. he, knew he was the sole survivor and you know these are real people who really did lose their lives yeah. and something clearly terrified them because they're too experienced to believe they would survive in sub... I mean, it was like negative 24 degrees outside. Like, and to run no out barefoot <gasps> and barely wearing you know, clothes. I mean, something must have scared them so badly yeah. that the alternative, knowing that this was certain death, was better than whatever it was that they were encountering. Yes. And, and the, the idea that they... Or the fact that they cut through the tent from the inside... It is, uh, what was it that scared them if it was like KGB or military or like, like, you know, why wouldn't they right. just go out the front of the gate? Like if some soldiers came yeah, up like, and was like, get out of here. Cut, why would you cut out, like, why would you have to cut out of the tent? That actually, I feel like supports the avalanche theory, right? Is that like, yes. the only way to get out was to cut your way out. Um, but we don't know. We just don't know. Yeah. And the documentary did suggest that there's a chance Again, the prevailing theory is that it was cut from the inside, but he says that that's impossible to prove. Okay. Based on the type of serrated blade that was used, that like you can't tell which side it came from. Sure. So, I mean, again, if that's if it wasn't cut from the inside, then yeah, they could have been. Then maybe it was a Yeti's I claws. buy that. Ooh. I don't know. You know, like, I, it's just a, one of those stories. I mean, if you, I'd, if this is interesting to you at all, one, check out the documentary. Two, go to dietlovespass.com because every... I couldn't possibly have told you all of the theories and all of the, you know, there's like something like 75 different theories and three of them they say are potentially credible, which are the avalanche, some kind of like military test thing that went yeah. wrong and um, the Yeti. No, I'm just kidding, <laughs> Although I don't know. I feel like broken branches up high. I mean, obviously we do know that they did try to climb that tree. But that's kind of a, a another thing, clue, right? Yeah, yeah. It's... So, Avrin, what have we learned with both of these? Our ramen or crime? All right. So, <laughs> we've learned that fake relationships can lead to love, and <laughs> yeah, okay. that yetis might be real, and that you can go on a really weird fucking wormhole of true crime stories when you type in 
ideas that pop into your head from watching a rom com. I love it. You know what I learned? Uh, I learned that um, when something's called "Don't Go There," just maybe don't go, go there. there. Yeah, right. I think that is the number one thing we we should say we've learned from this. Yeah. One, if something is literally named "Don't Go There." Don't be the asshole. That goes yeah. there. Just kidding. I'm not calling the hikers. Just asshole. be careful. Assholes. Just but be just be careful. very careful. And like maybe don't go there. Yeah. I love it. Oh, my God. So that is, yeah, that is the story, the mystery of the Dyatlov Pass incident. Freaking intense, man. And uh, the coverage and inspiration for this story was to all the boys I've loved or I loved before. Good stuff. Yes. Oh, good, my good gosh. Stuff. You guys, thank you so much for going on this journey with us today. Yes. We love you all so That's very right. much, Rom Criminals. And we will see you next Tuesday. Yes, we will. Rom enjoyed this episode of rom crime if you did like it please rate review and subscribe all those good things and share it with a friend who you think might be into the rom-com true crime genre that we're dipping our toes into follow us on all social platforms at rom crime we'll see you next week with another rom crime with avern and vanya produced directed edited and researched by us till next week <laughs>